Good morning. I must say it is a blessing to be here this morning and it's good to see everyone here. Get this page marked. I want to join the uh, the elders here at Denton in welcoming all of our visitors. We are so glad that you came to to worship with us and study with us, and I hope this morning will be beneficial to us all. This morning, the the title of the sermon is Prove Thyself a Man. And I want to start out by reading this passage from 1 Kings 2, verse 1 and 2. It says, Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and prove yourself a man. David is a is about to pass away, and he had an opportunity to talk to his son. He said, I want you to show yourself a man. Prove yourself a man. I want you to be a man. How many times as a boy growing up, as men, did you wonder, am I a man yet? As a teenager, I'm a man now, and people, you're just a kid. As a young man, well, you're just a baby still. And if you, you look at America or the world, worldwide, you know, there's no real standard for what a man is, for when a boy becomes a man. You look at <clears throat> the worldly definitions of a man, and I have some pictures up here of some people that are definitely men, right? There's John Wayne. John Wayne or Arnold Schwarzenegger. You have Michael Jordan. Anderson Silva. These are tough guys. These are athletes. These are men. Are they? Is that a definition of a man to be tough? John Wayne, rough and tough and don't take nothing off of nobody? What about this guy here? This is uh, Kevin James in The King of Queens. I, I don't know if you've seen this show or not, but there's a laundry list of shows like this. Everybody Loves Raymond or King of the Hill or Family Guy. Where the man is a, he's a bumbling man. He's silly. You know, when the wife and his children are smarter than him, and the show is basically making fun of his stumbling through life. He doesn't lead his family. He doesn't lead anything. He's not smart. I don't know who this guy is, but he's laying on the couch with a plate of Cheetos so close to his face that he can eat them without moving his hands. And that's funny until you start talking to women across the country today. Because how many of them will tell you, well, yeah, my husband's just like that. He goes to work and works just enough to make his paycheck and comes home. He sits down on the couch and he watches TV. He doesn't pay attention to me or my children. He doesn't help around the house. He's lazy. A lot of people believe that's what a man is. A man is lazy. You have this picture here. You have a caveman. He's got his club and a woman by the hair. A lot of people will tell you that a man is a caveman. He doesn't have emotions or or feelings. He just, me want food. Me want Jane. People really do think that's how men are. There's people who feel that way. On the other hand, this man here, that's a little bit dark, but that's Brendan Fraser in one of the movies he plays in. This character he plays is a guy who's just overly sensitive. He cries about everything. He's kind of a sissy lala. And uh, today, there's people who believe this is how a man should be. Not necessarily 
silly like this, but uh, very sensitive, very feminine. And I'm not saying it's wrong for a woman to be sensitive or that all women are, but they are really trying to emasculate men. They don't think men should act manly or masculine. Is this what a man is? When does a boy become a man? Ask somebody. Ask lots of people. You'll get all kinds of different answers. I made it a point this last week at work to ask all of my, uh, my co-workers at some point, what is a, when does a boy become a man? And some of the answers I got were when he shaves, when he drinks his first beer, when he graduates, when he gets married, when he has a family, when he holds down a job and takes care of business. I mean, the list goes on. Is it college? Is it when you hit 30? At what point is a boy a man? Well, you know, there is no standard for that in the world. There is no definition of what a man is in the world. But the Bible does hold a definition. The Scripture does give us a definite answer of what God requires from a man. And it's important. And this morning, I want to study on this and study what God says a man is and study why it's important. I want to talk about this with you this morning. And as men and as boys and young men, I think we can all grow from this. It gives us a clear standard of what God desires for us to be. And ladies, this is for you as well. You know, young women who are looking for a spouse, who will be looking for a husband, this is what you should be looking for. Wives, this is what you should be helping your husband to become. We're help meets for each other. This is where you're going to help your husband grow. Wives, if you have sons, this is what you want to raise your son to be. Fathers, if you have sons, this is the picture you can take and show your son and say, look God, or look son, this is what God wants me to be and how I want to try to be. And this is how I want to help you to be too. Because I want you to be a man in God's eyes. So let's study this this morning together. The first thing that I found in Scripture is the man is a physically mature male. In Leviticus 27 and verse 3, it says, if your valuation of a male is from 20 years old up to 60 years old, then your valuation shall be of 50 shekels of silver according to the shekel of the sanctuary. In this passage, you can read on a little bit more later if you want to, but he kind of breaks down men into categories of age. He gives them from one month to five years as, I guess, a child. And then from five years to 20 years old as as a boy. 20 to 60 years old is the age He gave for men. And then 60 and upwards was aged men. And these were the age brackets He gave for the the taxes that they gave to the the temple or or to the the, the Levites. And uh, also, if you look over in Numbers chapter 3, right there at the beginning of the chapter, God gives the age of 20 as the age when boys could go to war, or men could go to war in Israel. Now, I know we have quite a bit of science as well that talks about, you know, around the age of 20 to to 24, depending on on the person, is really when a a boy's body changes to to fully mature. And uh, so we see some of the science in that. You're a man when you get a full age that maturity kicks in and your body changes and you become an adult. But there's more maturity than just physical maturity. There's also acting and speaking with maturity. In 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 11, 
The Apostle Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. This passage is the, it's the chapter of love. But he uses this as an illustration because it makes sense. It's how it should be. A boy should mature to a man. And how many times, uh, any of you who've dealt with boys, have you had to hear the phrase, take that outside, that's not for in the house. <laughs> Boys get rough, rough, don't they? I have a son, and right now, uh, one of the things we're working on is inside voices. That's not for inside the house. <laughs> and, and learning to be gentle with his baby brother. You know, boys have a tendency to not know the time and the place. But as a man, you're expected to have the discretion to know the time and the place. To know there's a time to be serious. There's a time to be quiet. There's a time to set aside the playfulness and take care of business. It's discretion. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he spoke to Timothy in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Timothy was a young man, and I guess he was having some issues with people going, oh, you're just a boy, we don't need to hear it from you. But he said, look, Timothy, I'm paraphrasing this roughly, if you want to read it in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12, he says, Timothy, if no one will despise your age, no one will, will, will worry about your age, if you're an example in your words, in your actions, in your faith, in your purity. He said, you live like a man and people won't question it. You need to be mature. You need to have that maturity and discretion. It's something I think we all have issues with at times, but as a lifestyle, if you are going to be a man, you need to show discretion and maturity in your actions and words. A man is masculine. 1 Corinthians 6 and 16 and verse 13 says, Watch ye and stand fast in the faith, Quit you like men and be strong. This is a King James Version. uh, He says, quit you like men. And I went and I looked at the the definition of that phrase there. And it means, be like a soldier, brave. Now, I want you to think about these soldiers at that time. You know, I'm taking nothing away from our our men in arms right now. All soldiers are brave. We love the people who are protecting us in our country. But at this time... They didn't have a physician. If you, uh, if you got hit, there was no calling medic. <laughs> it's over. At this time, you had men who would gather out 20,000, 40,000 strong on a field and face another group of equal size. And what you had was a pair of sandals. You had a, maybe a breastplate of molded leather. You had some bracers of molded leather on your arms. And you might have a helmet made of Brass, maybe. They had a spear with a shaft about that thick and a heavy steel, or well, not steel, but iron or brass point on it, and a shield that probably weighed close to 80 pounds. And these guys would get out there, and sometimes these battles would last for literally days. Now, I go to work, and I usually work about eight hours a day, and sometimes we move some heavy things. Let me tell you, if you're working hard for eight hours and you're working on cast iron where you're putting that stuff up over your head, you're worn out. And they're really not that heavy. They, could, they come in fairly small sections. But it wears you out. Now, you, can you imagine days of fighting for your life? These men were tough. They were watching their friends die around them. Horrible things that they saw. These men were tough. These soldiers were tough. You look at a, a story in Second Samuel it's the story of Abishai and Joab. And 
they were outside the, the city gates, surrounded on three sides by the enemy, and they were outnumbered. And Joab looks at Abishai and says, look, we need to act like men. We need to look like men. He said, if we turn and run, it's over with. The people will lose heart, and they'll just run us over. He said, so what we're going to do is we're going to split up. You face that way, and I'll face this way. And if you get into trouble, I'm going to come help you. And if I get into trouble, you're going to come help me. And today, we're going to stand and take care of this problem. He did what needed to be done. He didn't run away. I guarantee you he wanted to. (laughs) If you had men that outnumbered you getting ready to come and take your life, the odds aren't looking good. You want to run. It's a desire there. When God talked to Job in Job 38, He said, Job, brace yourself like a man. Because I've got questions for you. God created us man and woman. He wants a man to act like a man. That doesn't mean that a man doesn't have feelings. The shortest verse in the Bible says, Jesus wept. Jesus had emotions. Jesus played with little children. He loved them. Jesus took beatings and mocking and spit in His face. They nailed Him to a cross and hung Him up there to die. And He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. He didn't try to get in a fight with them. He was a real man. He had emotions. He had feelings and He had some sensitivity, but He was a man. A man is masculine, but a man takes care of his children and his wife and he's not afraid to show when he's hurt or sad or afraid. It's part of it. A man is capable of independence. Genesis 2 and verse 24, way back at the beginning, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You know, the idea was that a man should get to an age where he would leave his parents. If you go to 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul speaks to many. He says, you know, it's not a bad thing if you don't take a wife. You can serve God that way. There's nothing wrong with that. So you see a picture of a man who can leave his mother and father and doesn't have to have a wife to take care of him. (laughs) I might have to work on that. My wife takes care of me pretty good. But a man can be independent. He can take care of himself. He can leave the home. And we see a lot of people who are moving back in with their mother and father. And I don't think it's a problem if you're in college and you're living with your parents. But I think that as fathers, we need to teach our sons to learn to be independent. To learn to take care of themselves. It's important. We need to to teach ourselves to, to not need others to watch out for us. But to work hard. We'll always need God to watch out for us. But He expects us to be independent in our lives and capable of this. To step up and take that responsibility on yourself. Because a man accepts and fulfills his responsibilities. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 1 through 2 says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. You remember back in Genesis 2 and verse 15, God gave man a job. To dress and keep the garden. From the beginning of time, God has given man responsibilities. And here he's talking about a steward, which a steward was, uh, basically he was second in command. Let's say you had a farm or a plantation. The guy who took care of everything around there was a steward. And if 
the owner had to go off and take care of some business, the steward was in charge. He had the responsibilities of making sure that everything went smooth there. And if I had a steward, and I left him in charge of my place, and I came back and it's in chaos, you know who I'd talk to? It wouldn't be the stable boy, it would be the steward. I'd say, hey, this was your responsibility, you're in charge. The Bible teaches that all Christians, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. Correct? Well, it's just the same way for a man. A man takes care of his responsibilities. A man is accountable and contrite. Second Samuel 12 and verse 13 says, So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord has also put away your sin, and you shall not die. Now, the story on this, if you don't remember, is that David went out on his rooftop, and he looked down and he saw Bathsheba taking her bath. And he forced her to come up there, and he committed sin with her, and she got pregnant. And to cover that up, well, he tried to, to bring her husband, Uriah, back to the, uh, to the palace there, and go spend a little time with your wife, man. Uriah, well, my men are out there in battle. Uriah was a soldier. And I'm not going to be enjoying the comfort of my wife when they can't do that. What do you need me to do? So, David gave him a message to take back to the front line with him. And the message said, when we're in the thick of battle, and Uriah is right there out in the front, I don't want him to know, but I want everyone else to know a signal that will say, all of y'all fall back and leave Uriah by himself up front. That's called murder. David committed murder to cover up his sin. To hide it. Well, Nathan the prophet, he knew. And he came to David and he told him a story about a man who had a little lamb. And he said, you know, it was the only little lamb that he had and he loved that lamb. And some stranger came in and he killed it. And he took that lamb from him. You know, David, well, that's just wrong. Who would do that? I want this man found. I want him punished. And Nathan said, well, that was you, David. You did that to Uriah. And David, he knew he was caught. And he said, you know what? You're right. I committed sin. And if you turn over your Bible and you read in Psalms chapter 53, it's where David wrote about this incident. And you read there and early on in the passage, he goes ahead and he admits his sin again. And you go down to verse 16, he says something that's pretty amazing. He says, Lord, I will give you all the sacrifices you ask for, but that's not what you want. Now, you know at the time, the children of Israel had taught that for forgiveness of sins or, or to move your sins on, you need to commit these animal sacrifices. Give these bulls and these turtle doves and these sheep. This is what was the act. But David understood something about God. God doesn't want the blood of animals. Those don't mean anything. To go out and commit a sin and then go, here you go, taken care of. That didn't help anything. David said, Lord, if you wanted sacrifice, I'd give you that. But you love a broken and contrite heart. Now, how many times... As a man, have you found it difficult to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong? 
Men are known for being proud. Too, too proud to stop and ask for directions. Too proud to say, I'm sorry. That's not right. That's not what God teaches that a man is. God says a man is accountable. I made a mistake. I was wrong. I sinned. And contrite. I don't want to do it again. It was wrong. That's a real man. A man is capable of leading his family as well. A lot of times that's where this scenario comes up. <laughs> when you're leading. Because leaders make mistakes. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 1 says, This is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. So he's talking about bishops here, which are held up as an example among men. Going down to verse 4, he says, One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. That standard that they set, that high bar, is of a man who leads his family. Who leads his children. And you read in, in Ephesians chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 6, where he talks to men about the family and he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it, that He could present it to God a glorious and spotless church. You know, he's asking men to act like Jesus. He's asking husbands to act like Jesus. He said, your job is to love your wife, not so much that you would take a bullet for her, but that you would take the moments in your life and you would serve her. That you would give up everything and you will serve her, just like Jesus gave up everything. Leader, I was told once, means servant. Jesus led by example by serving us. He gave up His home in heaven. He came down to man. He was treated not like royalty, but like the son of a carpenter from some backwater town. They lied about Him. They plotted against Him. And they killed Him. And He went through it all because He loved us. And He said, that's how we need to love our wives. You go on a little bit further in Ephesians 6. He says, husbands, love your children and raise them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's not the nurture and admonition of dad. That's of the Lord. It's really easy to look at your children and say, you need to stop that because it's getting on my nerves. It's not our job. Our job is to teach them, you need to stop that because Jesus said it's not okay. You need to stop that because God says that this is how we're to obey Him. And I follow what God says, and I'm teaching you to follow what God says. As husbands and fathers, He's asking you to be just like Him. And that's a big role to fill. As a man of God... He's asking you to look just like Him. And that is an impossible task. But it's what we're asked to attempt. And a man, above all, just like Jesus, is going to love and serve God. It's in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, Solomon said, Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. King James Version says, 
This is the whole duty of mankind. This is our job. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 38, 22, he gives us the great commandment. It's reiterated from the Old Testament. It says, The greatest commandment is this, that you love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your might, with all your strength. That's everyone's job, not just men. But you think about this. Well, Michael McCorkle, <clears throat> when he glanced at my notes, he sent me a, a, um, an article off the internet that a headline caught his eye. And he sent it to me, and it was from I don't know, Flip Up or something. I've never heard of the news site before. But the article was written by uh, some feminist movements. Uh, writers, and it talked about how bad men were for mankind. All the wars that have gone on because men have to assert their masculinity. All the violence that takes place. All the silly arguments over pride. They say, well, men just don't care about women. They put them in last place because that's how it always has been. That's how they assert their masculinity. And you know, when this isn't happening, that does happen. You know, they wrote those things, and the bad part about it is that it's true that men did do those things. It's not true that being a man causes that, though. Because if they were this kind of man, it wouldn't happen. John Wayne is not a real man. He's a movie actor. But being tough and beating someone up doesn't make you a real man. Jesus said, forgive them. The king of queens, the silly guy, Kevin James, that type of character, that's disgusting according to this. God in the Bible says that a man who doesn't take care of his family is worse than an infidel. A man who loves and serves God doesn't give a bad name to men. He doesn't carry on generations and generations of families who are broken and torn apart and have children who really probably do need a shrink. When we follow God's standard that He sets for a man, men stand up and lead. We fight the battles that God asks us to fight. The spiritual wars, casting down imaginations, things that aren't true. You know, speaking of battles, I have a comparison for you here. The story of David and Goliath, I believe we've all heard this story, but a little refresher. David was a young shepherd boy. He tended sheep. At the time, Israel was at war with the Philistines. And... Uh, they're all lined up on, in this valley. You have on one side the Philistines and on the other side the Israelites. King Saul is in charge. And over here on the Philistine side they said, Hey, I tell you what, we're going to send out our mightiest man and you guys send out yours. So they sent out a man named Goliath. Goliath was a big man. A very, very big man. If you read Scripture and you look at those units of measurement... He was supposed to be approximately 10 foot tall. 
Now, people at that time weren't as big as they are on average today. So historians guesstimate that David would have been about five foot. Maybe even a little bit smaller because he was a youth. He was still a boy. So you have this guy who's twice, literally twice his size. Goliath who carries this huge shield. You add up all the weight and he's carrying like 400 pounds of stuff. It's ridiculous. But he goes out there and Goliath faces the armies of Israel and he says, Hey, send out a man. If you take me, we'll leave. We'll pack it up and go. We'll serve y'all. But if I take your man, your, your champion, you'll serve us. Well, Israel stood on their side of the line shaking in their boots. No one stepped out there. Well, David had come down to bring something for his brothers and, and check it out what was going on. You know, his brothers, they kind of sat there and they said, David, get out of here. You're just a boy. You don't belong here. You have no business being anywhere near this. You just get on home. You're just here being a naughty child trying to see the, fo- see the fight. But they weren't standing up and going and fighting the giant. When David started asking, well, who's going to fight this man? You know, the, all the men there said, not me. So David went to see the king, and he went to Saul, and he said, I will go fight him. And Saul said, you can't do that. You're just a boy. You're not capable. This, this guy, he's huge, but he's a seasoned warrior. He'd eat you for lunch. David talked Saul into it. He said, look, when I was a boy serving my shepherd's flock, my God took care of me. He said, a lion came in, and I took it by its chin hairs, and I slew it because God was with me. He said, a bear came in, and I hunted it down, and I slew it because God was with me. And I'm going to take this uncircumcised Philistine, and I'm going to do the same thing because we're Israelites. God is with us. They can't stand against us. So Saul offered him his armor and his sword. He said, take these and go get them, boy. Saul was kind of going, man, I just sent him to his death. (laughs) He didn't believe it. He didn't think David could do it. And you know that the army of Israel, whenever they watched David go out there, they went, ooh. (laughs) Is that who I think? That's just a kid. We're doomed. We are doomed. David rejected the offer of the king's armor. He said, "I'm, I'm sorry, it's too big. And I'm unproved with these things. I don't know how to use a sword. I don't know how to use a shield. I don't know how to wear this armor and fight in it. He said, I'll just take my sling and my stones. I'll go out there and God will be on my side. Now you think about this. His brothers didn't believe he should even try to go fight that giant. And organizations in the world, movements, don't think you should try to be a man. They want you to literally be the furthest thing from that they can think of. No one expected David to go fight the giant. They didn't think that he was capable of winning. And you know what? Most people in America, across the world today, they don't expect you to take up a challenge set by the Lord God to be a man. They don't expect you to fight that battle. They don't expect you to step up above standards that no one holds themselves to. And they don't really think you can. Because they've seen the examples over and over again where people have failed. 
David armed himself with the faith of God. And he went out and he killed the giant. It wasn't just a rock and a piece of string that killed that giant. It was his faith in God. So my question this morning for all of us here is are we going to prove articles like that true? Movements that believe that we shouldn't try. People all across America that don't expect you to live up to those standards. Who don't believe you are capable of it. Are we going to continue patterns of homes that are broken? Children that are not taught to be men. Mature. Who go out and start patterns of being broken. Or are we going to arm ourselves with the faith in God? And go fight. America is disintegrating around us. Read the news. And it's because men aren't being men. It's because fathers aren't being the father God called them to be. And we can change that. But you're going to have to fight. You're going to have to look at these standards that God has set for you. And you're going to have to fight for them. Because they're not easy. Will you? Will you this morning? We have an invitation song.